Okay, everyone, welcome back to The Hard Sell. Uh, as always, I am your host, Joel Stevenson, and uh, I've got a great guest today. Uh, Tan Daba is joining us from uh, Europe, and uh, Tan and I have known each other for uh, for a little while now. Tan's a former B2B software pro product marketer who has written a book recently, um, and we'll, he'll tell us a little bit more about that, and is host of the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast, um, as I mentioned, author of The Remarkable Effect and works with uh, quite a number of, of SaaS CEOs to, to improve their business and diagnose what's going on. So, uh, Tan, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'd love, love to be there. Um, so let's let's sort of just jump right into it. Um, uh, you know, you've got an interesting vantage point from the work that you've done and uh, in, in the sort of the, the studies that you've done of, of SaaS businesses over time. And so I, I'm curious when... Uh, you know, a lot of what you talk about is uh, in the book is sort of, you know, predictable revenue and being able to grow your business, get, you know, traction in your business. And so I'm I'm almost curious about the opposite case, which is, you know, because many companies fail and probably many more fail than succeed. And so when when things start going wrong in companies um, and, and we're, you know, we're sort of focused on sales here, it's like, how often is it? the sales function that's that sort of breaks that that growth trajectory or is is there is there a different part of the company that ends up breaking it mm -hmm. good question it's uh i haven't seen that many cases where it's just sales it's always a combination of a number of things it's product marketing it's sales um so yeah it's it, it, it's, it's it's hard to say uh, it's just sales organization or the sales people that are there that, uh, that that just make a make a mess out of it it's a combination of of a bunch of things that's fine what so yeah that and, that and that makes sense i mean usually i mean especially i think in sort of modern software companies that are product led or others like these things start to be um very much intertwined but when you know yeah. so let's maybe say like when the sales organization is maybe a reasonable part of the problem or like a majority of the problem or some you know non zero part of the problem like what what are things that like how how might you diagnose that or like or what are the what are the telltale signs that maybe you do actually have a sales problem yeah well there's a couple of things that i continuously see um first of all i mean if you look at at the it's typically it's across the board and the, the, the easiest one is when it was when it was doing okay suddenly it stops you know um that's where uh, you, you, it typically it's, it's a case of it's, then it's really not your sales team it's something else but when it is the sales team there are things whereby you know you got your performance you, if, hopefully of course you got more than two people so you can actually compare people to each other um i see a lot of complacency in there that we talk we, we tell ourselves a story that we're doing fine but in reality we're not you know we are we've sort of kind of okay or yeah got to agree with with the situation in the market that a a win rate of 20 percent is good uh, yeah. but at the end it's not of course so yeah, how do you d diagnose that um win rates definitely one of them long sales cycles uh, another thing that's where i see that is where sales are really un in an underperforming situation is where you see a long a long um sales to uh to how do you say that um sort of the like that 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 last stage in the funnel sort of proposal to close exactly and it just 
keeps being postponed and keeping there. I've seen actually serious examples of companies that had um, yeah, deals for more than 400 days in the pipeline. And mm -hmm. these were not deals that were enterprise sales of millions and millions and millions. They were deals of 10,000, 12,000. Um, so 400 days, absolutely crazy. But you keep the hope out there that yeah, you're busy. Um, that's, of course, a big sign. Um, and we started to realize, I mean, that was a situation with one, of, with one of my customers whereby I worked with one department and they just brought it down to like quarters and at, and at some point even, even months where other uh, uh, similar um, departments in another region um, were just having these, these other numbers. So you could instantly compare the, the thing mm -hmm. to each other. Right. If I look at the... Um, the example of my company that I used to work for, and we were selling ERP solutions, uh, typically in the mid-market, sometimes large, large organizations. Um, what we what we saw is that it it did definitely you could see the performance um, change between, for example, the UK and Norway and Sweden and and Belgium, for example. And when you started to look at that, there was the the the, the sales teams that really understood what is it all about um when to qualify in when to qualify out and being really focused on that um being able to change perspective with the customer uh, to yeah to position the, the the solution that you have in mind for them um in a way that that yeah becomes their number one in the in the priority list that's where we saw for example in government um which was not which, yeah typically is um yeah, it's, 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 the government is, is, is known for long sales cycles. It's, it's tough, it's hard, it's RFP-led. We saw government deals coming in in weeks, hmm. even when we are we were, were sort of latest in the process. But in other countries, um, same company, same product, same vertical, we saw exactly the opposite. So yeah, it's really like compare and, and see what, what good looks like and, uh, and be honest with yourself. Is 20% win rate what you should be happy with because likely there's a problem there already yeah yeah and I'll maybe um uh, just do sort of a uh, a selfish shout out here which is I we had a there's a, a hard sell episode with David Spitz who used to be an investment banker who now runs a company called bench sites which captures all of these SaaS bench he used to run this Pacific Crest SaaS survey which was very popular and so he sort of took that methodology and moved it into um uh for now sales benchmarking but they've got all these benchmarks about how productive an ae is time to close quotas ot's all this stuff which is sort of another way you can you know if you maybe don't have good internal data to compare against there's some of these other data sets where you can you know, sort of get an idea of what um, what, what might work so um it, maybe switching gears a little bit so we talked a little bit about how um, you know, you might diagnose sales as a problem, but I think the flip side sometimes also happens where it's maybe sometimes it's easy to blame sales um, yeah. and perhaps yeah. sales isn't the problem. And so I'm curious about maybe the opposite case was like, how do you know if maybe or how much you think about it if Well, it's the problems are showing up in sales, but the problems are actually not sales. The problems are actually something like product market fit or marketing or some other thing going on. Yeah. That's the that's the bulk of the things that I see. You know, there are some people in the group, the, the, the top performers that are that continue to do well. Other other parts of the group or the sales team are not performing that well. Uh, we start to look into that. We see the, the long sales cycles. We see the low win rates. 
one symptom, of course, is as well, and you didn't even talk about that, uh, yeah, high discount. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've seen it also in the company I used to work for, whereby I was responsible for pricing, for example. When I was producing the new prices for the year, I got, for example, in the Benelux, always uh, the argument, we're not going to use this. It's, it's too low. It's, it's, it's lower than last year. And I was pushed by the other countries to bring it down because they said, okay, we can't work with this. We need to bring it at least 50% down, otherwise we can't sell. Yeah. It's clearly, that's a clearly a sales problem. But what I saw even more, and what I continue to see even more with the SaaS companies that I work with, is that it's not that much of a sales problem. It's a, it's a combination of segmentation is far too wide, positioning is, uh, is off, and the value proposition is completely unclear and undifferentiated. That is a big one, uh, and in, it depends a little bit about where you are in the in the cycle of your company. Product market fit can definitely be be an issue, and I mean, uh, in, in with startup, of course, with startup product market fit is is like always the first thing that I look at. Is there already product market fit? Are there customers that are buying this for what it's um, for what it's worth and what it's and what it's value for? But what I also see at the end. Um, is that product market fit, because it's the dynamic thing, there was product market fit, the market has changed, and the, the fit is gone. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, look at the current change in technology, uh, how quickly things change. I mean, how many companies this year, for example, have released something with ChatGPT? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, you, you almost, the noise is, is, is so loud around just that topic. Um, but the whole thing of cloud technology, the data that's there these days, I mean, the whole speed of innovation is is completely, yeah, it's, 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 uh, you can't compare it to like 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and, and oftentimes, you know, I think sales can be a good sort of early warning mechanism for that, because yeah. they're out in the market competing, yes, it's, but it's, sometimes it's hard to sort of separate signal for that sort of signal from just like complaining you know or like justifying reasons why you can't win no but that is definitely the case you know and uh i, I talked about complacency in a company when there is an ignorance for the signals like yeah we did we missed the quarter because these these three deals slipped um but the, and, and, the, and yeah not being able to and we lost those deals because of that and that and that um i mean ask ask a sales for an honest opinion about why the deal was lost. It's always price. Uh, features were missing. It's never the the the, the issue of a salesperson itself. Um, so that's, for example, uh, when I was in, in product marketing and product management at Unit 4, we always went in with an independent team to really mm -hmm. get the, the understanding of, okay, what, why did it slip or why did it not close? Yeah, why did it go for the competition? Yeah. Um, but the, the signals, really, really pay attention to that uh, with with an independent and unbiased uh, perspective. Uh, so let someone else look at it. <laughs> yeah. You, you you mentioned discounting earlier um, in, in yeah. just sort of price is one of the reasons. And one of the things I've always sort of wanted, I've never sort of actually implemented this. I've sort of wanted, I mean, we sort of do in the product led motion, but but not as much on the, on the sales led side. But this idea, like in the early days of, of your company, you're really trying to figure out what the market will bear. You're probably, your price is all over the place. But at some point, you start to figure it out. And I've always sort of been curious to, you know, to do more of the 
there aren't that many companies to do this, but like Atlassian comes to mind where they're like rigid about not discounting, at least as far as I know. And that was sort of their, their, their approach. And I, on, on one hand, you lose, you know, maybe some flexibility or some ability to price discriminate and sort of maximize your revenue. But the other hand, you get a pretty interesting signal back when discounting can't be there. Like you just have one, like that is just a, that is a constraint versus a variable in the whole sort of equation. I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. I mean, I, I love that approach from, from Atlassian that they don't discount. And it's all about, you know, if the value isn't seen, you're the wrong, you're the wrong co company for us. Um, either we have done, a, of course, a bad job explaining it and articulating it and identifying what, is, what are the pain points that you have that we, that we solve like no one else. But price is, a, price is a story. And it has nothing to do with the fact that you're more expensive than the other ones. No, I mean, and that's what I hear a lot in sales. You know, these guys, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're far higher price and more expensive than us. No, they're more valuable than you. And they have, they have an ability to ask a, uh, demand a higher price. I think, I mean, I, I was recently on a podcast with the CEO of a company called Boulevard, and he was talking about pricing in, a, in, a, in a, a very interesting way. He's looking for the areas in the market where he has pricing power. That says it all at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes from a number of things again. I mean, what I see a lot of companies do wrong, and that's where that starts with marketing at the end, but it's, sometimes it's also like pushed by, by the board or even by investors. Um, you know, the total addressable market, that's how it starts. And we need to kind of find a market that is growing, that is like 15 billion already, growing 35% compound every growth rate. It needs to be as big as you can possibly think about. Because if we get 1% of it, you know, Everybody is happy. The question is, why would you get one percent? Hmm. Because the market is not coming to you because it's big; it, it will just drop in your in your box. So what they do is they start to define the market, uh, the, the the boundaries of where they're going to look for, uh, with things like okay, the demographics, how big is the company, what are the industries they're in, all the things you can search for on on LinkedIn and you can buy online at companies like ZoomInfo and so on. But that's just the outside. And in that market, you're likely going to have a, a win rate of 20%, so 80% waste. When you zoom into, okay, if you, and that's the luxury, of course, when you have product market fit and you got customers and you can start to look at them in, from a different perspective, what are the customers where there's always positive energy? They are becoming our biggest fans the moment we walk into the room, they buy the solution. It, it's just happening. Mm -hmm. What is characterizing those guys? And that is about deeping, digging far deeper into psychographics, worldviews, what do they care about, what do they believe, what do they promise their customers, all of those type of things. You cannot search for that on LinkedIn, but mm -hmm. you can absolutely address it in your messaging. So, and that's the market where once you figure that out, and I've, I found that out uh, um, the hard way, for example, when, when we were at Unit 4, then you can, you, you just, you get, you search for 10 leads and you close eight. So if you if you got a I mean that is a very easy thing you don't need to go for big marketing if you for example if you're if you're if your um, your target is um, you need to do like x x number of million now if you know your average deal size those ideal customers are prepared to pay a premium so that is an easy one as well yeah it's uh, it's um, it's well it's a number game but in, in in the low side of things it's a very efficient way of doing things uh, where too many I mean 
they're just throwing things at the market. They get leads, which are uh, people that download the white paper and then say, okay, hey, they show their interest, sales go on. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable the number of ways and uh, people that are the tire kickers and they're keeping your pipeline and just ruining everything. And in the meantime, the right ones, you don't have time for them. The right ones are close with someone else. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, years ago, there was, um, I remember this is like very early in my career. Uh, I remember our, the company I was involved with, um, we brought in a methodology called target account selling, which the VP of sales had used it. I don't even know if it's still a thing anymore. Um, but the whole methodology was about, it was like very, very heavy on qualification and going after those good fit customers versus like yeah. a lot of sales methodologies are very heavy on the bottom end is like objection handling and, you know, uh, getting rid of the blocker and this and that. Whereas like this methodology is sort of like in some ways flipped down on its head, which is like, well, if you just get the right people in it, if you're very, if you're very sort of focused on spending your time with the right people, then yeah. a lot of that other stuff doesn't matter so much. Yeah. I mean, it's at the end, uh, if you, if you, yeah, at the end sales is a list, you know, and it's like you look for those that are identical to your, to your ideal customers, your biggest fans. I mean, the moment you got fans, they will bring others as well, like them. Because people like us do things like this, as Seth Godin is always saying. Um, so they buy more from you, they buy more often from you, and they bring friends. So that is helping with the growth. But typically, I mean, we we got very, very good at it. Uh, once we understood, we were in the ERP space, and we always tried to kind of differentiate ourselves saying we're not an ERP. Wrong, mm. wrong thing to do. So at some point, we started to say, okay, yes, we are an ERP. So we got, we got into the listing. And then we were looking for those cases where SAP was in the in the deal and Oracle was in the deal and Microsoft uh, was in the deal with one of their ERP suites. Because again, those, we could position ourselves as something like 180 degree different. And for the right customers, then it was like, okay, yes, this is for me or it's not, it's not for me. Super, mm -hmm. super effective. Because in 10 minutes, we could say, thank you. Thank you for your time. Everybody goes again and uh, you know, we just, we, we, we go for the right ones. Or we were working with the right ones, and that became a deal. Um, and it's as simple as that at the end. No misunderstanding there. And it was pretty interesting, pretty easy to to articulate um, um, yeah, how the value is being being released, and on what type of problems. When those problems were there, I actually seen sales situations whereby the sales was doing a presentation, well, doing a sort of an introduction thing, explaining. As, a, as an opening, like where, what type of customers we were bringing the biggest value and what they were, what characteristics they have. And then we're looking at the room, close this machine after 10 minutes to say, but I don't think you're a customer or you're an organization like that. And then just wait for the reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and it's either like, yes, you're right. Perfect. Okay. Um, no one's wasting time. Or it was like, no, 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 no. We, 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 we see it as well. And then the half an hour you got became an hour, one and a half hour. And you know that you're pole position coming out of that meeting. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the right segmentation, articulating that in super clear ways and understanding really what, uh, yeah, I'm calling it these days, what makes you remarkable and who's prepared to pay premium for that. That's the, that's that group. Yeah. yeah. Probably, you know, probably helps everybody in the company to, to figure that out. Whereas like, it might seem like, probably more of a scarcity mindset up front. It's like, if you actually figure this out, then you exactly. know, sales make more neat. The, the product marketers know who to talk to. The product people know who to build for. Like everything sort of gets better. I mean, it's maybe not easy to figure out, but if you can't figure it out, then 
it's a good place yeah. to be. And I think, yeah, the word that you use, scarcity, is possibly also the 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 scare the scary word, because to someone that has a big target, scarcity method is almost like no, 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 no. You know, we have to yeah, we have to kind of take all the options. What if we miss anything? Whereby, if you keep well, if if that win rate is so low, um. There's two things here that I want to talk about. If the Windows is so low, it's, it's so ineffective. Whereby, if you can get a high, very high win rate, it possibly it means also that the, 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 your value is, is super clear. So uh, deal cycles shrink from months to weeks. Win rate goes up, of course, and your average deal deal size just goes up because you can. I mean, there's the customer is thinking, okay, this is actually cheap. <laughs> Like sign now because it, before they change their mind. The other thing is, sales will at the end always sell. So with the wrong customers, what they do, they bring the wrong type of customers in. These customers bought it because functionality-wise, they think you can help them. I mean, I have had endless discussions with people that say, okay, well, why are you focusing on, on, those, on those customers there or those prospects there? Well, they need a GL, General Ledger. Yes, and well, we have one. Yes, and why us? Um, so at the end, you will sell. But they bring in a customer that thinks it's this, and it ends up being something slightly different. And as a consequence, they're going to be tough to implement. So that is bringing margin down. Customer success is going to have a tough time because the early ROI, the early wins are not coming. They're never going to be a fan. They're going to keep your R&D department heavily occupied because they're going to ask for features if you fix this and fix that because these are all bugs in our um, in our mind where for the ideal customer it's just yeah um it's, it's overload so when you fix it i mean what is, what it happened what i've seen happening to r d departments um also the ones that i've been working with we had a, at some point a deal with uh with a large local authority in the in the nordics uh who was buying our payroll suite the flags went out last like the last couple of weeks of the quarter. It made our year. It was a one million dollar deal. But what came with the contract was an addendum of all the things that needed to be created for them uh, by our best people. So we couldn't outsource mm -hmm. it or bring it to our outsourced the uh, R and D departments in Poland or or in Portugal. So and it it brought down the the delivery capacity of my HR and payroll development team. Um, for about three years, like 50% mm. occupied. I mean, imagine what that, that that does to your competitive edge in the marketplace. Just delivering for one customer. Yeah. A custom development shop. So what you what, what you see there is that it's it's constantly bug fixing to keep unhappy customers, try to get them happy. The moment you release it, they're not happy because they say, okay, finally it's there. I've been asking for this for three years. New products that come out have less impact because R&D didn't have the time for it. Adoption will be lower. Um, customers that were a fan start to see like, wait a minute, what's going on with these guys? Scores go down like NPS uh, um, score, net revenue retention goes down. It's a vicious cycle. And yeah, I mean, if you would have picked it up early on in the sales cycle, you would have noticed. Yeah, it reminds me of the old joke in enterprise selling, which is the good news is you won the deal. The bad news is you won the deal. 
exactly yeah exactly everybody i mean it should be a win for everybody like like that yeah the scarcity side mindset even talking to your i mean talking about discovery calls taking a discovery call as an addition for the customer whereby the typical the sales that are doing it the wrong way are going in and just yeah they listen to answer because they they got their story ready um haven't got a clue what the pain, pain point for the customer is just going with the, st the same story and yeah it's uh yeah it brings them it brings them nothing but the moment you just say okay i'm gonna say no to this unless the customer convinced me they are the right one it's a completely different ball game let the customer just explain what are the, the biggest pain points they have to, that are most valuable for them to solve most critical for them to solve and what they what they've already figured out tried that doesn't work and so on and see if then the connects the, the, the dots all connect i mean you talked about my book um the remarkable effect and in, in the, the first chapter i'm talking about a triangle that is about three critical questions and it's a fantastic model for marketing to do the segmentation and the positioning and the value proposition work but for a sales for a salesperson it's a fantastic model to just do a um recap a discovery and and decide qualify in or qualify out and it's about listening okay what are the customers saying about what keeps them up at night likely they won't say it keeps them up at night but what are the problems they are highlighting then figure out with the customer out of all, all the things that you hear problem definition is very often a kind of an art in itself because we hear we're not efficient and we say well yeah that's a very important problem and we're not in control or we're not compliant no, compliant can be a a problem but not being efficient is not a problem so it's the art of of course keep keep asking the questions different story there make your list of what the customer said on, on problems and then rank them on three questions how valuable is it to solve this problem this problem this problem this problem 10 problems you got a ranking there how critical is it for them to solve so if you would if you would just focus on the three that are the highest priority because they're critical or urgent for them for a number of reasons that's the, that, that's the list that you should hone in on and then for the ones that are and high highly valuable and highly critical because that's the mission critical thing almost then figure out okay can we exceed expectations with our solution because if if it's highly critical and highly valuable that's that's a perfect combination but if you cannot exceed expectations your competition will just wipe you out Mm -hmm. if it's highly valuable but not critical it's nice to have so you will have a very long sales cycle especially when budgets are down when, when the economic uh, situation hits and so on all these type of things so you want to have the three legs of a triangle all balanced equally equally uh, um, how do you say this forceful equally uh, equally high mm -hmm. um, and that is giving you all the arguments to say okay I see this we're not optimally positioned for this qualify out because it's going to be a uh, a race we can't win or you say okay we are perfectly positioned and then you start working on that yeah and you bring that, that customer you position it around those three problems maybe you have 10 but you can start honing on the three and you can you win them on that yeah well good 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 advice and a neat framework um encourage people to check out but you know speaking of scarcity time is also scarce and we're we're running towards the end of our time here um, 
but uh, but but thanks, uh, Ton, for joining. And if if people want to be in touch or learn more about um, what you're doing um, in your practice, what what how how do people get in touch with you or, or find out more? Yeah, well, my website is called valueinspiration.com because I inspire value, um, and that's where you can find anything. You know, there's this it's it's loaded with value essays about how to segment right, how to position right, how to create a value proposition that resonates, how to stand out in the market. All of the questions that B2B SaaS companies have asked me and that I've solved at some point in time uh, for them to create remarkable traction, they're all also there. And of course, right. you can also download my book there. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll um, uh, encourage everybody to check that out. We'll, we'll try to put that in the show notes as well so people can click on that. And uh, Tan, thanks again for joining. It was a pleasure. Thank you.